John 6, verses 1 through 15 this morning is our text. And God's word says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again by himself uh, to the mountain. Let's please be seated and let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And we are frail and fragile. We are prone to wonder, uh, even in our hearing of your word. We're weak vessels. Yet we have your word for us, and we pray that you'll help us through your Holy Spirit as we encounter your text. Uh, Give us uh, exactly what we need from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I kind of wish I had done this uh, throughout the course of the week. Asked you, what are some things your dad or your mom might have said? What are some famous phrases around your house? Uh, Somebody wrote a book about stuff my dad says or something like that. Um, uh, And and they, they put these things in there. We had some phrases around our, our house, and probably when it's time to celebrate my dad's homegoing, uh, thinking about him in heaven, we'll, somebody will, probably it'll be my brother Chris, will start imitating and saying those things, and we'll all laugh lovingly about my dad and the things he said. Uh, he would say, all the time we heard this phrase, if you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. That was dad's big one. He'd have us out there working when he wanted to play baseball or something. You don't work, you don't eat. He would also say, stay alert and you won't get hurt. Uh, That was a big one from him. Um, But when it came to sitting at the dinner table, and probably one I've really taken from him, and and our poor kids have had to hear it too, 
you have six kids sitting around and you're trying to figure out how to pay for them all and, and they're growing bodies and they're, they're needing shoes and clothes and, and uh, Christian school tuition and all that, dad would say, take what you want and eat what you take. Wasn't a sin to take what you want. Wasn't a sin to load your plate when you're a growing boy and you're out there. But boy, it was a crime sin. We, we weren't Catholics. We didn't have venal and, what do they have, venal and mortal sins. Uh, it was almost on the mortal sin, uh, pushing mortal sin to throw food away. Um, you don't throw food away. You take what you want, but you eat what you take. And we could come back with the old, old, my eyes were bigger than my stomach and think we were being cute about that. Uh-uh. Eat what you take. Take what you want, though. And there was no, nothing wrong. And I thought about that phrase, especially when we get to our third point this morning about the abundance. Uh, it didn't just say, you know, the, the one disciple is saying, well, there'd be just a little bit for everybody, but even if we had this, we couldn't hardly do that. And when Jesus got finished, it says everyone ate their fill. <laughs> oh, wasn't in the notes, but we, we rarely could afford or went out. Uh, that wasn't part of the budget to go out to restaurants a lot. But boy, when you went to a, a restaurant with my family, it was a buffet restaurant. <laughs> and Daddy was going to say, get up there, <laughs> get up there, come on, uh, eat some more, eat some more. Got to get, get our money's worth. Um, uh, all these people had eaten their fill. They had eaten their fill. And there was still much left over. And we're going to get to that great point. Uh, this is a great, wonderful story. Now, when uh, we, we've talked a little bit about the Gospels and what stories make, make all of them. Uh, John, we, we've established, when John was writing this Gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are things that are not, that, that John includes, uh, incidents that are not in, what we call the synoptics, the, the ones that were in sync, more in sync with each other, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John came along uh, about 20 years later, we, we think, wrote, um, he wasn't trying to set the record straight because they're all the same, um, uh, but he was writing with a perspective and a point uh, to even fill in as the church was growing. So God in, inspired or, or breathed out these words for John. And so when John wrote about the miracles and things like that, usually it was to lead into some teaching that Jesus had, some dialogue. And that's really what's coming in the next couple of weeks where Jesus is going to be talking about himself as the bread of life. But this is one of those incidents that, it, that, that hits Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four talk about this one. Doesn't make it more true than the ones that are only one time or two times or three times. But it's, it's interesting and significant that John includes this along with the others. And therefore, and I'll do this in the sermon this morning, I'll go back and refer to some of these other incidences to fill out the, uh, the, the, the bones of, of the story. So anyway, this is, is what he's talking about. The other thing to think about, and I hadn't thought about this this week, this is not going to make or break your spiritual life, but it's, 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 worth, it's worth a thought. This was one of those, uh, I couldn't think of another one, where 
thousands of people all at once were the direct recipients of a miracle that Jesus did. Like you saw him going and he would heal these people, this blind man, that uh, demon-possessed man, he would cast the demon out of. And there might have been incidences where he was doing this. But here's one incident where all these people received uh, all at once. Just, just an interesting thought. They all got the meal there that day. Um, so anyway, as we look at this, uh, I, I got some help from our old friend Bishop Ryle from the 1870s, that uh, wonderful Anglican uh, bishop there that uh, wrote things that matter uh, so much for today. You're going to hear a quote or two from, from that, and you're going to go, are you saying 1870s? That sounds more like the 1970s or even the 2020s. Um, but uh, he looked at, at this passage, this particular one, and he said, there's three lessons, three lessons from this passage. And we're going to look at those three lessons. The first lesson is this, a lesson about God's almighty power. Take a moment and just, you go like, that's old stuff. I know that. God's powerful, omnipotent. I know that. Uh, well, good for you. Think about it some more. Revisit that. God's almighty power. How God fed that many people with five loaves and two fishes. Other miracles that Jesus did involved mending something that was broken like eyes that couldn't see or legs that couldn't walk or restoring something, even restoring life. This one, um, this is a whole lot of something out of nothing. How did it happen? I don't know. I mean, I've heard people, they've talked about, uh, there was a guy, I couldn't think of his last name, I forgot to ask you, Paula, but you remember Roger, tall Roger, deacon at the church. Uh, uh, he and his wife was talking about how he and Norma, when they were so struggling, so much struggle in their life to raise their kids and work, he was just getting started out and establishing himself. And he compared this story of Jesus making making bread and fish out of nothing, he said, our loaves and fishes incident was that car, the needle would be on empty. And it would just keep going and going and going and going. And that was God taking, making gasoline and putting it in our tank when it wasn't there. So it was more than just running on fumes. Uh, God provided for us. You might have stories where God's provided for you in, in ways like that but God the provider, but here God making something out of nothing. Philip, Jesus knew what he was going to do. It says Philip comes up to him, or Jesus goes to Philip, hey, where are we going to buy some bread so these people can eat? He's saying that to hear Philip's uh, answer. And Philip had an answer, and Philip says, uh, we can't do this. We can't, even if we got all the bread we could find. And Jesus was saying that just to, just to let him know, to remind him, this is an impossible nothing situation. This is nothing. We can't do this. And Philip gives the answer. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And Jesus didn't say, patience, young Padawan. 
as the rumble of food trucks came over the ridge and Jesus had already called these guys and here comes the food that Jesus had already ordered? Was it that way? That's not how it worked out. We used to sing a song at Bible camp 50 years ago or so. And, and the song went like this. Uh, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does the things others cannot do. And it's like, well, he's not the others. He's the holy other. God can do these things. God can make something out of nothing. God can feed 5,000 in the wilderness. It's not the same. We're talking about God. Can some government, any government, not ours, but any government, can a government feed 5,000 people? Well, (laughs) yeah, but they have to start with 50 million existing loaves and two gazillion fishes that they've pried out of the hands of others, and after every middleman gets their cut and they've wasted everything along the way, maybe 5,000 people can have some food, but they have to start with something. There was a great ministry in Pensacola back when I was a youth pastor. It's called Loaves and Fishes. Hey, I bet they named it after this passage in the Bible, Loaves and Fishes. Get it? Uh, Loaves and Fishes. And we would go down there. It was run. The health inspector told me that was the cleanest kitchen of all the restaurants and everything. There was a big man named Bill that ran that thing. And I'd take the youth group down there. We'd take cans of food, and people would raise all this food, and and they would prepare it, and then we'd serve it to people who were hungry. But it didn't start with nothing. It started with God using his people to give, but you had to have an equal amount of food to give. The incident we're talking about right here is almighty God making not just something out of nothing, not just doing a little conjurer's trick and making a quarter pop out of your ear or something like that. This is God feeding 5,000 all they wanted. We have got to see in this passage God's almighty power. God, powerful. Only God can do what God in the flesh did on that day. Only God. Here's a question for you. Did Jesus say, how many people do you think are here? 5,000 plus the women and children, as Matthew 14 says, it was more than 5,000. They were counting the men, but there were families there. We we have no idea. Uh, You'd think at least maybe some of them were there by themselves, but some of them had families. Some of them had a lot of kids. Maybe 10,000, 15,000. Did Jesus say, I'm glad there's only that many because if there had been 50,000, I couldn't do it. Woo, we're under the barrier. 5,000 men and their families? Okay, I got this. Did Jesus, was he intimidated by the number? Is there something, is there a limit, in other words, that God couldn't have provided for? And of course the answer is no. I started thinking about this, this awesome, mighty God, and I thought, what did the meal taste like? What would Gordon Ramsay have said about the meal if you walked up to him and presented him your meal like on one of these cooking 
contest shows. What did it taste like? What was the fish and barley? What if we could have that today? What if I said, I got a special surprise for you? <laughs> we arranged it, and, and, and on the way out, you're all going to have a little lunch sack with five loaves and two fishes, and, and it's, 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 it's a replica of what Jesus made. What would the taste be? I bet it would be pretty good. I don't think that Jesus looked in the sack with the boys' lunch and, and uh, smelled it and said, oh, that fish is a couple days too old. I can't work with this. Go find me another lunch to, to work with. Uh, it was wonderful. They ate their fill. The reason there were leftovers is because Jesus made so much of it, not because they didn't want to eat it. Back in those days, the food was about sustenance and energy and lack of starvation. And I bet that's what it came. Uh, nobody, nobody called uh, Philip or Andrew and said, hey, mine's a little undercooked. Can you send it back? Uh, it was perfect. It was wonderful. It was food that they were hungry for and they ate. And the Almighty God provided what was just right. Because God can do things like that. And we are meant to see the almighty power of God in this instance. We can stop with, well, and this is just like Jesus saying, he fed the, the birds of the air and you're more valuable than birds. That's a good passage. But we're meant to see more than that. We're meant to see big God who can do anything. He can do that. He can do anything. And here's an area for us to think about. Uh, if God can do anything, if God is almighty, powerful to do anything, question, can God alter a person's eternal destination? Can God make a dead person alive if he's God? Not can we do that, uh, but can God do that? Can God turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh? And I would say one more incident. All these people glorified him. They were amazed. Almighty God. So here's one of the Ryle quotes of two. Bishop Ryle said, Such a history as this ought to be specially instructive and encouraging to all who endeavor to do good to souls. It shows us that the Lord Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. He is the one who has power over dead hearts. Not only can he mend that which is broken, build up that which is ruined, heal that which is sick, and strengthen that which is weak, he can do even greater things than these. He can call into being that which was not before and call it out of nothing. We must never despair of anyone being saved. So long as there is life, there is hope. Reason and sense may say that some poor sinner is too hardened or too old to be converted. Faith will reply, our master can create as well as renew. With a savior who by his spirit can create a new heart, nothing is impossible. So you think about the loaves and fishes and you think about the people you've kind of given up on and you try not to think about because you hurt so much because you love them so much and they're headed the wrong direction. 
Start thinking about them again. Start praying for them again. Ask God, who can do this with five loaves and two fishes. Well, that's your, that's your awesome God, who can do anything. And so we see a lesson about God's awesome power. And then we learn something else from this passage and the interaction with the disciples and the, and the, the people who help uh, distribute this. We learn, second point, about the function of God's ministers. There are people, in this case they were the disciples, uh, we'll make application to all of our lives if we're Christians eventually, but in this case the disciples, and they had a job. They were human agents, and they had a job to do. Take what Jesus created and deliver it to the people. Now, if Jesus could take the five loaves and two fishes, could pray, bless it, set it aside, and, and if, he could, if he could make that much food, do you not think he could make it? He could make a chair up here in front of, for every 5,000 and a little TV tray, and he could make it instantly appear in front of them, couldn't he? Anybody think he couldn't do that? Of course he could do that. He didn't. He said, you disciples, distribute this to these people. You say, well, it doesn't say that in the, in, in the text. Well, not in John it doesn't say that. But it does say that uh, in Luke 9.16, for instance, about the same story. It says, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So he did it. John can say, Jesus gave it to the people. We can read the other passages and say, Jesus gave it to the disciples who gave it to the people. And what are we saying? When you deliver what God has for people to those people, you're doing the Lord's work. You're doing the Lord's work. The job of the disciples was not to create food out of thin air. Their job was simply to deliver the food that Jesus created to those hungry people. You wouldn't have found Peter when he thought Jesus wasn't looking, take a little sample of it to see if it was okay, say it needs a little something, pull out some hot sauce out of his pocket and doctor it up or something. No. His job was not to take what Jesus made to give to the people for their physical nourishment and enhance it or make it better or more to his liking. It was to take what Jesus made, give it to the people. There's a pastor who I've heard say, like on his radio sermons and stuff like that, he'd say, my job is to, is, I'm not the one who creates this dish. I'm the one, I'm the waiter. And I have to, I have to get the food. I have to get it to the table without messing it up. And we don't have to enhance what God has made for us to give to people with our own little special sauce or spice or seasonings. Uh, we don't have, we just say, here, this is what Jesus has delivered for the people, made for the people. You take it to them. And as we think about the gifts that God gives to people 
and we know man cannot live by bread alone. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. Uh, We think about the message that God has for a dying world. And we look at it, we go, oh, they're never going to like this. They'll never believe this. We have to doctor up the gospel a little bit. We have to enhance it. We have to add this. We have to put some garnish on there. We have to, well, if God wants to put garnish on it, then we deliver the garnish. But we don't take what God has for people, their deepest needs, and mess it up. And that applies to the gospel. No human being can be the mediator between God and man. Saw a picture in the... My price point is about a dollar a week, and as long as the Wall Street Journal gives me the digital version for a dollar a week, there's about three or four columnists I like to read regularly. If they're going to raise it to... What's going to happen is that little four-month thing is going to run out, and they're going to raise it to $3, and I'm going to call them and cancel, and they'll give it to me for a dollar a week again. That's my price point on that that piece of... uh, journalism. Uh, but um, there was a picture, so, so, so I'm not trying to sound like I read the Wall Street Journal every day. Well, I, I do these days because it's a dollar a week. <laughs> but um, they had a picture. Pope was visiting some country. And they constructed all of these outdoor portable confessional booths. And it was like a kind of a cool modern design. You can probably find the picture uh, somewhere. And it had uh, you could, it wasn't like a little closet like in the movies or like some of you who, who grew up Catholic would sneak into a little closet and there'd be a priest in there. Here's the priest sitting. You could just see all the priests lined up in all these rows, all these people sitting down, talking about sin, talking about how, how, what they had to do to get rid of their sins and all that. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I, if, if, those, if that priest is saying you need nothing but Jesus Christ if you need nothing but Jesus' blood and righteousness, uh, then I'm all for that. But if they're adding, you've got to do this or say this, or you've got to, all of a sudden you start thinking about passages in Scripture, and it's not just Catholics who do that, because we, we Protestants do that too in a, in a different way uh, if we're not careful. But you think about that verse in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Uh, we don't need as a church or as people to add to the gospel. It's free. No? What did, Mag- what did Mad Magazine say? Cheap? And there was a distinction between cheap and free? Not cheap. Free for us, but very, very costly for the God who came to earth, left his glory in heaven, lived a perfect life, which was very, very, very hard, as we all know, uh, live a perfect six hours and come and tell me you've done that. And I'll say, "Ah, you're lying. Um, uh, For Jesus to be tempted like we are, yet without sin, to be that perfect lamb of God, uh, and die on the cross for us, all of a sudden you say, uh, there was some cost to this. And our message of the gospel is to not add to it, to say, the gospel is simply this, repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you are saved to the uttermost, to use biblical language.
And we say, okay, that's what these disciples had to do. Get the food that Jesus made out of nothing. Great food, perfect food, nutritional food, satisfying food. Give it to these people. They eat all they want, and you just deliver it. And that's what our task is as believers. Just deliver the gospel. thinking about the various ways that we get to emulate these disciples. Here's what I wrote. Your wonderful task, if you are a Christian, and if you are enjoying your spiritual fill of the gospel, is to take what Jesus has created and serve those others who are hungry. In other words, this is for Christian parents with their children. Or this is for Christian children with their parents who don't know the Lord yet. This is for Christians with their non-Christian neighbors or co-workers, extended family, the people you meet. Somebody's hungry, the Lord impresses you and you realize they're hungry, and they're kind of hanging around to hear Jesus. There's the gospel. Boy, they're going to eat that. Jesus says here, feed them. What did he say at the end of this book? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He wasn't talking about food. He was was making a spiritual analogy. Of course, this is for elders in churches. And some people that I read stopped there. This is for the church leadership. Uh, They're like the disciples. Well, you know what? We're all disciples of, of the Lord. So yeah, it doesn't stop with just us elders. Everybody. You're a disciple of Christ. Feed people. The disciples could not feed these people because they had nothing with which to feed them. But Almighty God does have something to feed them. And the disciples are the distributors. Third lesson after we see the lesson of Almighty God and we see the lesson of the ministers of this food. The third lesson is about the sufficiency of the gospel for the needs of all mankind. There's enough. Uh, We're not limited to 144,000. And when that last one gets saved, uh, the end of the world, as, as some false religions have stated in the past, there's enough. The only person who could walk away from that meal and say, I'm hungry. We used to do that as little kids, you know. Mom, I'm hungry. It's 6.30. We ate at 5 (laughs) o'clock. Well, you know what? (laughs) Why didn't you eat what was prepared for you? Uh, The only person that could walk away from this meal with Jesus is the person who refused to eat. It says they all ate their fill and there was so much left over. Uh, no rations. You think about the gospel. Uh, there's enough. And there's no place for Jesus and fill in the blank. Jesus, just Jesus. That, that's it. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. Jesus in his perfect life. The shed blood of Jesus and the wrath of God poured out on him rather than on us. Now what's interesting, I had one One of my professors, and I believe it was Dr. Chamblin, not Kistemacher, but Chamblin, who pointed out 
the language and the beauty of the language of Scripture and the different gospel writers. And one of he always loved this, and he would call attention, where in one of the gospels it says, Jesus had them sit down on the green grass. And here it says something similar like that. Uh, but you picture a real setting, a grassy place, and they're divided in other places. Uh, here it doesn't talk about the division, but um, where does it say this? Uh, the groups of 50s and 100s. Uh, they sat down and they were divided into groups of people. And that made the dis- distribution easier. But you think about all these people sitting in groups. What does our world have to feed all these people that are divided into groups? What does our world feed people? First of all, how does our world divide people? How does our world say you sit here in groups of 50s and 100s? Well, Blacks over here, whites over here, Spanish over here, these over here, men over here, women over here. Um, rich people, you've got to sit over there, and we're going to sit and look at you and want what you have. Poor people over here, you've got grievances. What does it do? Our world divides people into our groups, just like these people were divided into groups. And what does the world give to people instead of the bread of life, instead of Christ? The world says we will divide you as naturally as you divide yourselves by race, by sex, by socioeconomic status. And then says the world, what we're passing out, and there'll be enough for you to be left over. We're passing out hatred and resentment. We're passing out reasons to hate the other groups while you're feeling superior to the other groups. And after we've given you incentive to want to storm these people and maybe even kill them, we'll give you permission to do it. And we'll give you encouragement to do it. And we may even give you weapons to do that. And you contrast what the world hands out to its groups of people and what it tries to do with what Jesus does with the groups of people. Feeds them. Feeds their bodies. Feeds their spiritual souls. Only in Christianity. Now there's lip service, but only in Christianity do you see this biblical truth In Christ, there's no male or female, no bond or free, uh, slave or free, no, um, 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 what's the other one, Greek or Jew, uh, racial categories, uh, sexual categories, both of them, uh, economic categories. And in Christ, there's a unity. And you look at the last day in heaven, all people from all these races, uh, of all people, men and women, surrounding the throne of Christ, worshiping him. That's what this is a picture of Jesus giving out to the various groups. You better be glad you're a Christian. Even as Christians, we can get tempted to be caught up in all this stuff if we're not careful. Uh, read, read the news too much, and you get caught up in it. Read your Bible, and that helps you to see Jesus is the one who broke down all these barriers, even among sinful people like us. Jesus gives the common meal to those who are divided into their groups. And it's the same meal for all, from the same source. What everyone needs is one thing. Acts 4, 11 and 12. 
What we need is this, the grace that flows from God through Jesus. Here's Acts 4, uh, those two verses. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Not a cornerstone, the cornerstone, Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our answer for everyone, be right with the Lord. Get right with God through Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to the table in a minute. Table's a great place. Uh, and you think about all the people that are Christians, even just partaking at the Lord's table around the world. Different Christian denominations, taglines on them. But, uh, but, but the Christians. Now, there's non-Christians going to the table, too. Um, not talking about that, but I'm talking about those believers uh, in, in their churches that come to the table. Uh, we are unified with them. Last quote from Ryle before we go to the table. Late 1800s, but really prescient for today. He said this, Let us never doubt for a moment. Start over. Let us never doubt for a moment that the preaching of Christ crucified, the old story of his blood and righteousness and substitution is enough for all the spiritual necessities of all mankind. It is not worn out. It is not obsolete. It has not lost its power. We need nothing new, nothing more broad and kind, nothing more intellectual, nothing more effectual. We need nothing but the true bread of life distributed faithfully among starving souls. Let men sneer or ridicule as they will. Nothing else can do good in this sinful world. No other teaching can fill hungry consciences and give them peace. We are all in a wilderness. We must feed on Christ crucified and the atonement made by his death or we shall die in our sins. Amen. That is the truth. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this passage, which is going to lead into uh, the discussion that Jesus had about him being the bread of life. But we thank you that we are praying right now to the all-powerful God, the only all-powerful being in the whole universe, and it's you, God. We thank you for feeding our hungry spiritual souls. We thank you for letting us, uh, after you've saved us, be Uh, those disciples who carry the bread to other hungry souls who you are in the process of feeding. We thank you, God, that we can look and see uh, what the world needs and what we need. And we thank you that we, uh, that that, that, that there's so much grace that there's, uh, we can all eat our fill and there's, there's leftovers. Thank you for that, our God. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.